Well, good morning. It's good to be back. I've been away in Thailand and China for the last couple, three weeks. And I bring you greetings from seven North Wake families that live in those countries. And I want you to know they miss you. They think of you often. They pray for you. Um, And that's one of the things that I think I learned that I want to share with you this morning um, as we get started. Just how much it matters that they hear from us. We, we carried in a letter from one of our uh, folks to one of our families living over there. And when she got it, when the lady got it, she read it. And uh, it just changed her countenance. And she reread it. And Nicole counted. She read that letter four times. Um, they long to hear from the church they love. And that's us. So if you have a relationship with one of our families living and serving overseas, I hope you'll drop them an email this week. Uh, You can still send actual mail. Um, Whether it gets there or not is questionable, but you can send it. It probably will get there. And it matters tremendously. And if you don't have a relationship, we can hook you up. And they would love to meet you. They can Skype with you and get acquainted. It's a great, great encouragement to them. I, I can't tell you how much it means. So I'll tell you a little bit more about our trip just a bit this morning and then in the weeks that are ahead I hope to share some more with you. It was a great trip and our people are doing very, very well, learning very difficult languages, raising their families, um, doing beautiful work there. We're very, very thankful and very encouraged. But this morning I know that after being exhorted by Jeff two weeks ago and instructed by Jake last week on this matter of generous giving, I know that you are just walking around the building saying, please, someone show me where I can give my money away. So this morning, I can help you with that. And at the close of our time, you're going to have a chance to make commitments for the following calendar year to give to our capital campaign that pays, will pay for our debt on the building in which you're sitting and the other buildings on our campus. Um, it is above and beyond your regular giving, and we'll talk a little bit about why that is in the, as the, our time unfolds. But just in case you missed Jeff or Jake's message or you're extraordinarily obstinate, I want to go ahead today and try to encourage you with reasons why I participate personally in this capital campaign every, every year. So if you'll bow with me in prayer, we'll look at some scripture and find encouragement there, I trust. Um, God, now we surrender access to our lives, our minds, our hearts, our wallets to you. We, We give you full lordship over everything and pray that now your spirit and your word would take that willingness and use it for your namesake. We ask this in Christ's name. Well, as best I can count with today's commitments, we are coming up on our 10th year of committing to paying off our debt as a church, our our mortgage on this building and the others on our campus. Campus. Personally, I've been involved every year. I'm going to re-up this year, but it's tempting after doing this nine times to say, you know, nine times is a pretty good run. And a pretty good chunk of change from our family's budget given to this project, I think I'll just sit this one out. 
and let some other folks pick up the slack. And um, I have resisted that temptation. Steph and I are in this year, gladly in. And this morning, I'd like to tell you why it is that we continue to be faithful to this capital campaign. There are a number of reasons. I'm going to walk you through five personal ones for me that I've found compelling. I hope they'll be an encouragement uh, to you as well. The very first reason, um, and perhaps one of the greatest ones, why I give every year to the capital campaign is I'm afraid not to. Um, if you've heard me talk much, you know that I am what's called a recovering horde skate. That's a toxic combination of a hoarder and a cheapskate. They are related. And uh, this makes it very difficult for me to be generous. It has in the past. Because when I go to give something away or some money away, there's always this thought in my mind, I might need that someday. And of course, if I give it away, then I have to buy it, which costs me money, and I'm a cheapskate, and I hate that. So it's hard to be generous when you are a hoard skate, as, uh, as I have been. So I save things uh, that might not ought to be saved. Honestly, I save junk, okay? And I've told you before, I had some brothers from the church come over, and as an act of kindness to me, they tore down my 20-year-old deck behind my house, which I had painted green, the color of the mildew that wanted to grow on the deck. So now I have this stack, as I told you, of green mildew-colored deck wood that I keep because I might build something with that someday, some lawn furniture. Now, of course, I've never built a piece of furniture in my life, but I might. So I have this pile of deck wood that's in my, in my backyard. Well, what, what this really means when this kind of stuff happens to me is that I'm saying about these things and the money that buys these things, they are my security. They are what I'm hoping in. And when things get rough, I can always fall back on the old mildew-colored green deck wood. It sounds crazy, but that is honestly what drives this kind of stuff in my heart and I imagine in yours when it happens. The thinking goes like this. I cannot give this money away because my savings and retirement accounts are embarrassingly small and I might need this money or these things someday. But the Apostle Paul says, this is no hope at all to hope in these kinds of things. He says, as for the rich in 1 Timothy 6, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proud, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now the writer of Proverbs is even more damaging to this hope. He says, chapter 23, cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. So Paul, the writer of Hebrews, or the writer of Proverbs, Together they say that I am building a house of cards with my hoarding. I am hoping in an unreliable deliverer with my cheapskatedness. But I want you to know, I chose my words carefully at the beginning. 
I am a recovering board skater. Okay? I am so much better than I was 10 years ago. And there are a couple of evidences of that. One is that pile of deck wood. It has moved. Okay? It's on my property, but it's no longer in the I might need this someday pile. Now it's in the how can I get rid of this someday pile. Now, I must admit to some measure of concern because someone approached me after the first service and wants my pile of deck wood. <laughs> Even after hearing the sermon that you're listening to, they still want my... So, um, but I, I have an out now for that. So that has changed. And the other thing that's changed that I've noticed, um, it, the way I think about Craigslist has changed. Okay? <laughs> Craigslist, I love Craigslist, still do. I, I always love Craigslist as the great deal finder of all deal finders, right? I mean, you can find some sweet deals on Craigslist. I've bought cars on Craigslist. I've bought all kinds of stuff off Craigslist. But now, I, I appreciate Craigslist for another reason. I can get rid of stuff on Craigslist. You may not know this. There is a free please take section on Craigslist. And you can put anything anything on there, and someone will come and take it from you. This is a true story. Rob Craig tears up the hardwoods in his kitchen because they're slap-worn out and bad-looking. So he tears them up. They're all splintered. They got nails in them. He stacks them beside his house. He goes to the free section of Craigslist, and he says, please come take my old hardwoods I tore out of my floor. They're ruined. They're, they got nails in them, and they're all splintered up, but you can have them if you want them. People were lining up, I'm not kidding, to get Rob's used hardwoods out of his kitchen. So I think this is, this is, this is fantastic. So uh, when Steph and I got married, because we were poor and I'm a cheapskate, we bought a used mattress. Okay? This is, we've been married for 31 years. <laughs> hey, and don't, don't condemn me. Every time you go to a hotel, you use a used mattress. It's not that bad. Okay, you go to a five-star hotel, used mattress. So just get over it. But um, they're not bringing in a new mattress just because you paid 200 bucks for a hotel room. It's a used mattress. So we got a used mattress, right? We used that used mattress for about 25 years until I was in such joint pain in the mornings that I could scarcely get out of bed. So now we have, so we decide we're going to get a different mattress Yes, we got a different used mattress, but we got a different mattress, and uh, just like the hotels. And um, <laughs> so, so I'm thinking, if Rob can get rid of his hardware, I'm going to put this mattress on Craigslist in the free section. Within an hour, I had people coming to get this 30-year-old used mattress to use, and they took it off my hands. So now... There's this change, change in my heart. I love Craigslist because of what I can give away. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. You should try it. It's good for your soul. I really am getting better, though. I see it um, in the way I deal with my resources, my money, and my things. I am hoping in God more and my stuff less. I am finding my joy more in him and less in my possessions. I am slowly becoming more steadfastly generous. I know this because the other day my wife actually accused me of being generous. And this was like a milestone. I wore that like a badge of honor after she accused me of that. 
But one of the things that God has used to soften my heart and help me let go of things and the money that buys things is this capital campaign. Honestly, every year now, for 10 years, we have chosen to make a sacrifice that could have been spent on things. And instead, we have chosen to meet this need that the church has. It is good for my soul to give sacrificially to this cause over and over and over again. And if you have been in it with us, you know, you know it has that effect on you. Um, it is good for my soul. So the first reason I give is because I'm afraid not to. I do not want to let my heart devolve back to the state of active horde skatism that I used to live in. I do not want my heart to return to worship at the altar of past idols. The writer of Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of money in chapter 13. And be content with what you have. For he, that's God, God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. This capital campaign is helping me do that. It's helping me learn to be content with what I have, free from the love of money, as I am steadfastly generous year after year after year. In the PBS series Affluenza, they cite that the average American shops six hours per week while spending 40 minutes playing with their children. Jeremy Seabrook says, the only chance of satisfaction we can imagine is getting more of what we have now. But what we have now makes everyone dissatisfied. So what will more of it do? Make us more satisfied or more dissatisfied? I don't want to go back to those dissatisfying idols. and I don't want you to either. You should be afraid. You should be very afraid of letting these kinds of idols take root in your heart. Giving steadfastly to this campaign has been good for my soul in this regard, and that's one reason why I give. The second reason that I give every year to this campaign is because I really do believe what the Bible says about debt. I believe what the Bible says about debt. Now, the Bible does not call all debt sin. We know that from our study of Deuteronomy where we had um, instructions for godly lending. There can't be godly lending if all borrowing is sinful. So it doesn't go that far, but it does consistently warn us with sobering warnings like this one from Proverbs 22. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The borrower is the slave of the, money, of, the, of the lender. rather. I believe that borrowing money really does enslave you. In this sense, that portion of your income is now dictated by someone else as to what you will do with it without any option of escape, really. I mean, you think about it. Uh, my mortgage is due to the bank every month. I have no other option with that money unless I want to be homeless. Okay. That money in my budget, a sizable portion of my budget, is determined by that lender. I am a slave with that portion of my budget to the lender. And um, this is true of our church, too. Um, with our church, it's true to the term, to the tune of about 13 grand a month. 
13 grand a month. We are a slave to the bank. They tell us what we will do with that sizable portion of our budget. And I am eager for our church to be slave to one master. And we can release the 200,000 plus we give every year. We pay above our mortgage every month trying to pay it off ahead of time. So we give $200,000 a year to our mortgage. I'm eager to see what will happen with that money when we can release it to greater kingdom work and our mortgage is paid off. So I give because I really do believe what the Bible says about debt. And I want us as a church to be free to wholly serve God alone with all of these resources. So that's why I give. Third reason that I give, and this may sound a little odd, but I hope it will help you. It's been a huge help to me. I give to this capital campaign because I trust our elders. They have said to us that this needs to be, for this season, a priority for our church. And with ample scriptural basis, um, I now want to submit to that. It is good for my soul to submit to that. There is, in the New Testament, a pattern of people releasing their resources entrusting it to their leaders to disperse according to, their, to the need. Now, it's important, I think, that you see most commonly that is done to leaders, plural, not one leader. Don't give all your money to me and expect me to manage it well for you. That would be bad, okay? Who knows how many piles of green deck wood we would have laying around the property, okay? But to leaders, plural, our elders collectively and our trustees who manage matters like that for us. Um, there's a biblical pattern for that. For instance, um, in Acts chapter 4, at the back of that chapter, it's describing the beauty of the church when she's born. And it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. So they brought their money to um, it's, it's undesignated giving. They're selling their property and bringing it to their leaders saying, we trust you to distribute this according to the needs of the, of the church. And uh, there are other marks of this well. You see it in the letters to Corinth as well. But when I direct my giving according to the priorities that the elders have set for the church, that seems both wise to me and it's good for my soul. Let me explain to you why that's good for me. Um, as an American, okay, I'm keenly aware of this, having just come back from China. As an American, I am blessed with remarkable freedoms. Okay? Maybe, maybe unparalleled in history kind of freedoms that we have here. But that blessing can easily be twisted into a form of unsubmissive individualism, especially as it regards my money. Because after all, it's my money. And so when I become convinced that it really is my money, then I believe that I should have complete control over where it should go. It should go where I want it to go and do what I want it to do. Um, when I submit my money to the leadership of our elders, it's good for me to do in a number of ways. First of all, it reminds me that it's really not my money. Randy Elkhorn has an excellent little book 
called the Treasure Principle. If you would like a copy of the Treasure Principle, you don't have one, we have free copies to give away in the office. All you have to do is uh, go by there, and we've got a stack of them in Rob's office. We will give you one. But he says one of his principles in that book, it's very important. He says, God owns everything. I'm just his money manager. God owns everything. I'm just his money manager. Um, Psalm 24 is where that comes from. The earth is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And when I submit my giving priorities to those that the godly leaders of Christ's church have set, then I'm reminded once again who owns it and what my role is. God owns it all. I'm just his money manager. And it helps me find my place as a result of that in the body of Christ as servant of all in glad submission to our leaders. See, because sometimes when you stand up in front of people like I do and uh, you're up here in your sweater vest and, and everybody listens to you, right? Hardly anybody sleeps and, and a bunch of people take notes. At least, at least I think they're taking notes. Now they've got smartphones and tablets. I'm not sure really what they're doing. But I like to think they're taking copious notes on every word that I say. That's what I choose to believe about that. Um, when you are up here like that, it can be tempting for you to think, you know what? This is, this is quite a church I've built. This is, this is my church. This is, this is my church. And I should have significant say in the way things are done around here. And I should be respected around here. Um, maybe, maybe I should have my own pastor parking space. Because you go to other churches, their pastors have parking spaces. I should probably have a parking space. Matter of fact, not by the dumpster. No, no, we're talking like tear down the visitor sign. Give me a parking space. And probably should have a building named after me. Don't you think? They, we, they just have numbers. We could have the Larry Trotter Not Yet Memorial Building, number seven, or something like that. Okay, maybe not a building. Maybe we could have like, maybe a chair. You know, a lot of them, some churches, they have names on the chairs because people gave money. Maybe I could, you start thinking that way. You start thinking, I deserve something out of this deal. I'm a pretty important person. And so when I, when I give my money, no strings attached, as the elders have asked me to, it is good for my soul. I find my place again at the bottom of the list, eager to serve the leaders God has given to us and to make them glad in their work. Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Now trust me on this. When the church is generous, there's a whole lot less groaning that goes on in our trustee meetings. Okay? Groaning drops way down when we're generous. Okay? And that, the writer of Hebrews says, that's, for my, that's to my advantage. That they have joy in their work. So I give. Because I trust our leaders and I want them to do their work with joy. And when I submit to them, that's good for my soul. Now, I've watched people who have taken a different tack on this. 
and they've looked at our budgets and they don't like the, but the way the money's being spent. It doesn't match their priorities. And so they begin to pull back on their giving or they begin to manipulate their giving so that their priorities are funded and the funding priorities of the elders are not. And what I, what I see often happens in those cases is that those people's hearts get less happy and less happy. And eventually, they often will leave our church. Um, it is good for my heart, especially in matters of money, to be in glad submission to the leaders that I know and love and trust here in our church. And that's, that's one of the reasons that I give um, to this capital campaign. There's a fourth reason uh, why I give, but I have to explain a term that has undergone a usage change. So let me explain this to you so that it makes more sense. The term is sexy, okay? Now, sexy used to mean sexy, but now... Now, there's another meaning, and if you look up in the free dictionary online, there's a slang meaning, and the slang meaning of sexy now is, <clears throat> it can simply mean, excuse me, <clears throat> highly appealing, interesting, or attractive. So, a car can now be sexy, a brochure can be sexy, a marketing strategy can be sexy. You understand how I'm using the, the word? You got that? Am I clear? Okay. Fourth reason why I give, I believe that all worship, all worship is sexy to God. Now, think the right category here or I'm going to mess with your minds, okay? I believe all worship is sexy to God. Now, that's the last time I'm going to say it because it really sounds weird, but you know what I mean. There are things that are really trendy in the church these days, in, in Christianity at large. And they're, they're good things. Like church planting is pretty trendy these days. Um, worship bands are trendy. Uh, digging wells in Africa, that's trendy. Um, caring for orphans is really trendy now. Uh, pastors wearing sweater vests. You know, these are just trends. <laughs> Sweeping the church, right? And they're good trends mostly. Um, often those are profoundly biblical trends. Um, but what I've come to realize is that there are a lot of really important things for the kingdom to advance that are simply not sexy. Okay? They're not trendy. Um, you, you, don't, you don't get excited when you get a chance to join in. Paying the mortgage is one of those things. You know, most people don't say, oh, yeah, man, this is the Sunday we get to pay the mortgage. Yes. You know, but if I tell you that the poor need help, you are like, yeah. Okay, so this is one of those things that's essential, but not as trendy as some other things that might be going on these days. Good things. But if, if, if this gift we're making today, these commitments we're making today are done of an, as an act of persevering, sacrificial, obedient, glad worship, then it is highly attractive to God. He delights in it, I believe. Because um, this idea of God loving this kind of persevering worship is all over the scriptures. James is really strong on this. Here's a couple of instances. In chapter 5, he says, uh, Behold, 
we consider blessed those who remained steadfast, those who persevered. And back in chapter 1, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It would seem, based on this and numerous other passages uh, in the scriptures, that God takes a special delight in his people simply being faithful. As Romans uh, 2 says, in persevering and doing good. God loves that. It's highly attractive to God when we do that. He delights in it. The mundane things, the mundane good things of a decade, decades-old marriage or, or a daily pilgrimage to work or paying down the mortgage. Persevering things that God delights in. Um, on this last, on this uh, trip that I just made, our first stop was in northern Thailand, where we met with one of our families uh, who's just moved there, um, Aaron and Laurel, and their two delightful daughters. Now, they've just been reassigned to northern Thailand, where now they're working in a logistics role, um, helping people in China develop business platforms so that they can live amongst the people and share the gospel there and bless the people at the same time with their businesses. So it's a real important position. But for, the, for 12 years prior, okay, Aaron and Laurel lived in far north central China. And they lived in terrain that looked like this. It was like a desert with a river running through it. Okay? They actually couldn't live in the town where they worked. They worked with a, in a Muslim people group. And they were, when they first moved there, a five or six bus, hour bus ride away over horrendous roads. And I, I, I made that pilgrimage, um, and it was terrible. But they lived there with their little girls, and they raised them in this kind of place. They would, go, they would travel down to this little village, this little city where the, this, their people were. And they would stay there as long as they could. They couldn't get permits to live there. But they would go down there, and they would... Um, try to help start a business, and they would talk to people about the Lord, and they would love on them, and they would make these sacrificial trips. You know, this is not a tourist destination. You can tell by the way it looks. And right there is a mosque out in the middle of these little villages where Islam has taken hold now for centuries amongst these people. And Aaron and Laurel are there loving them and telling them about Isa, about Jesus. Now, 12 years, very, very little fruit. Almost no fruit amongst these people. What do we say about that? What do we say of them? I suppose there are lots of things that could be rethought or rethunk about strategies and, and resources and things like that. But one thing that I think is clear that we must say about Aaron Laurel is that they are blessed by God for being faithful in a really hard place. Okay. Um, they are blessed by God, and he delights in that sacrifice that they have gladly made. You know, sometimes things like a mortgage are like that. They are mundane, they are insignificant in light of the many, or sex, many sexier things we could give to who doesn't have half a dozen things on their list you'd rather give money to than a banknote? Okay? 
It is not that fun. But God, it seems, takes special joy in persevering in doing good, good like this. So because of that, um, while I could divert my giving to sexier projects, I choose not to for this reason. I believe that God is pleased with this worship too. And I believe that ultimately this is not about a gift to the bank, payment to the bank. It is an offering to God. That's, that's why I give. Now I have one last reason that I would like to share with you um, why I participate every year in this. Um, I, believe, I believe in the ministries of North Wake and I want to protect them. Now, as I mentioned, this is a completely separate budget essentially from all of our regular ministries and missions and everything that goes on in the church. The reason is to protect them from being gobbled up by this mortgage. We make a great sacrifice to protect that. So what do you think happens if our pledges drop below what the bank says we have to pay? Okay. Well, we're probably going to get money from that general operating budget, the offering that we take every week. We're going to probably have to rob Peter to pay Paul. Um, and that could mean a variety of things. It could mean that staff salaries get impacted. And you should know that that's something I'm vigorously opposed to for obvious reasons, but probably not for the reason that you're thinking. Um, Though none of them would say it, our staff, in my opinion, are all underpaid. This is what I mean by that. If they were to go elsewhere and do the work that they do here, they would all be paid more. They would make more money somewhere else than they make here. It's a sacrifice for them uh, to work here. They all have a second income stream, whether that's a side job or their working spouse. Um, All of us do that, and God is good to us, and he meets our need. So I'm not lobbying for pay raises here, but I'm letting you know that if you squeeze that turnip, you're not going to get much blood out of it until you start impacting um, our staff's lives and their ministries negatively. And... uh, I would hate that, and I really believe that our ministries would suffer as a result of that. Um, Bill Hybels says this. I think he's right. He says, the local church is the hope of the world, and its future rests primarily in the hands of its leaders. I want to empower and release those hands, not hinder them. Now, if, if our capital campaign is not successful and we didn't mess with salaries as a result. The other option might be to, to um, reduce regular ministry budgets. Now, ministries like our children's ministry already run on air, love, the gospel, and a little bit of duct tape. Okay? That's what our children's ministry runs on. So what are you going to do? Take the duct tape away? I mean, really? There's no fat in that ministry. There's none. I love the mentoring that our kids get in our children's and our students' ministry, and I would hate to hinder that even in the slightest. Um, So if we don't mess with salaries and we don't mess with regular ministry budgets, the only other place to go really is you could look at uh, missions. We start cutting back on what we're giving to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now our second stop in this trip, first, first stop in China, 
we connected with um, one of our families, um, Matt and Laura. There's, there's Matt right there, and there's Laura, and they have five kids, one, two, three, four, very blonde ones, and a little Chinese guy they just adopted uh, with a cleft palate, and he should probably be undergoing his surgery shortly to have that corrected. Um, they've lived in China for 12 years, and they're good at it. They live in an apartment complex with no other Westerners, all Chinese. And uh, they, their little six-year-old, five and six-year-old, they're fluent. They go to Chinese school. They're fluent. They were translating for the Chinese college students who wanted to speak to us in English. I mean, this family is well-positioned in this culture to make a difference. And Matt really has an extraordinary ministry. Um, he works on college campuses. Interesting, one of the things that he does to open doors and build relationships, he teaches physics okay, on campus in one of the campuses he works on. So these are not our dumb missionaries. These are our smart ones. He's teaching <laughs> physics. Um, and uh, there's another campus that he's on, and, and this campus is um, a campus that focuses on minority peoples in China. Um, you'll often hear about all the Christians in China and amazing growth of the church, not amongst the minority peoples. Okay? That's where most of the unreached people groups who've never heard the name of Jesus, we went out in some of the villages and we talked to people while we were there who had never heard the name, never heard the story. Okay? That's amongst these people. Now on this campus, this campus is primarily focused on those minority groups. They boast of having one student from every minority group on this campus. Okay. Now, I don't know about you. I'm no missiologist strategy guy, but that sounds pretty strategic to me. I'm just thinking. Okay. If they put every one of these minority peoples on this campus and Matt's there, that's pretty significant. So we go to this campus and we sit down in a little grassy area outside the cafeteria and we're sitting there. And, and a couple college students start coming over to join us. They're the, they're the people that, the, the young men that Matt is discipling and their disciples. A couple of these guys have been believers one or two weeks. And they're sitting down with us telling us their story of how they came to believe. And so we get up and we go into the cafeteria. And we go to the, uh, to the fancy part of the cafeteria where you get to buy a la carte. Okay. And these guys are excited because they don't have a lot of money. They don't get to buy the, the very much. And Rob Craig, who is reputed to be the most generous man in Asia, bought their lunch, even though he wasn't on this trip. Um, Rob Craig bought more meals on this trip that he's never been on. It's been incredible. So Rob is now known amongst all our M's as the most generous man in Asia. And we went over there, and we bought this, um, bought this meal. And we sit around this table, and Matt begins doing basic follow-up. He opens up his Chinese Bible full of letters characters like that and he reads from the Chinese Bible and teaches these young guys basic Christian theology and doctrine and follow up about what it means to have the new life in Christ all in flawless Chinese now you want to cut back on that me neither me neither And that, that is why I give to this obstinate capital campaign that keeps coming up every, every year now. For 10 years, 
And I hope this morning that some of these reasons are compelling to you. You know, giving to this thing we call journey of faith, it is good for your soul. It is. Um, it's good for the mission of the church, and I believe it's good, delightful, highly attractive worship when we persevere in it gladly unto our one great master. So I'd like to ask you to join me, and this is an important ask, um, because um, this year, I apologize, the statistics have gotten squeezed off. The red part represents how many North Wakers are participating. It's about 56% of North Wakers participate in this. Uh, the other 44%, that would be the black, um, are people who have said, no, thanks. I'm, I, I'm not participating. And I, I know there are questions and issues in your mind that are driving some of that. Some of it is you just haven't understood what I've been talking to you about today. But some of it you're thinking, you know, God, I, can, I'm, I got nothing. I like, I'm a student. I can do 10 bucks a month. What difference would that make? Well, hey, 150 families joining in that aren't involved right now at 10 bucks a month, that matters. That, that makes a difference. That adds up. Uh, many hands make much work light. It's not, really, it's not really about the amount as much as it is the heart of worship. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, and this is, it doesn't say that, but trust me, this is 2 Corinthians 8 verse 12. It says, if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to what one does not have. So your little bit can honor God. Now, on the other hand, you may have been entrusted great resources, and you have a chance here to do some damage for the kingdom with some significant giving according to what your master has entrusted to you. Some of you are thinking, I, I can't give anything. I've got nothing. If that's your case, when we fill out these cards in a few minutes and offer them, I just, want you to, I just want you to say, right on the card, just write, I get it. Count me in. Okay? And when God prospers you next year, make this a priority. Okay? You can't give what you don't have, but you can say, I get it. Count me in. And as God prospers you, you can make that a priority. Now, that is a commitment you're making. When God prospers you, you are committing to be generous to this great need of our church that our leaders have prioritized. Um, last year, we as a church committed to give $210,000 above our regular gifts to pay down this mortgage. We're on track to be done with this in six years, um, which is, is very exciting. Um, now, this year already, a small band of our leaders... Um, about 10% of our church family have already pledged over $58,000 to give next year. That gets us over a quarter of the way to what we need to just stay the course on this six year out. 10% of our people have already committed over a quarter of it. So if you will join us, we can knock this thing out. Okay. So they've given it ahead of time to say by their actions, Join us. Imitate me in this. Follow my example in this.
So the worship team's going to come, and we're going to give us a chance to worship God in this fashion. Um, we're going to use the first verse of this song as a time to pray and reflect. Um, you, for you to take a few moments and fill out this card if you have not already. Um, and just to reflect and prayerfully make sure that the amount that you've written down, if you've already done it, is what God would have you bring to this offering in light of what we've um, taught about this morning. Now, if you're a leader and you've already turned this card in, I know that this is an important way for you to worship, join us in worship, and to um, lead in worship in this matter. So you can just fill it out again, and if you fill it out as you did before, just write duplicate on it so we know and we don't try to hit you up for twice as much. Now, if you did revise the number, say you doubled it, put revised on it so that we know that you did that, and we'll count it accordingly. But uh, we want you to bring those. After we do the first verse of the song, you have some time to pray, bring them up here and just lay them on the table as an act of worship to our worthy king. Okay? Let's bow together and ready our hearts to do that. Father, you deserve it all. You own it all. And this is part of our managing your resources well. To aggressively deal with this debt so that we can be free to do that which you have before us beyond that. And I look forward to that day. But even this day, I know that persevering faithfulness honors you, and I pray that you'd find it in us and that you'd take joy in it, that it would be highly attractive to you, God. We offer this in your name.